If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Well, hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 144 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but those Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on June 26th, 2022, and the only two words that are appropriate enough to describe the ending to this Astros series this weekend, and also, appropriately, the title of today's episode, along with my raspy-ass voice, thanks to today's game, holy crap! (laughs) I just got done watching the game with my girlfriend, Victoria, who is here at my house this weekend, as she is every weekend, and... I just, right after the game ended, after, of course, I lost my mind, almost broke my phone mid-celebration, which is very on-brand for me, I just said, you know what? I'm going in now. I'm going in to record the podcast. It's like 5.30 at night now. It's after the game is over. Oh, my God in heaven. Holy mother of God. (laughs) What a freaking ending to a weekend that... Just looking back on it with today's game being so fresh, having just ended like 10 minutes ago or something like that, it it makes your head spin. (laughs) This is crazy. It's been a roller coaster. If there ever was one, looking back at a series, Thursday night, you had the big walk-off with Aaron Hicks tying the game and Judge coming through with the RBI single. They were losing 6-3, to heading into the ninth inning against the Astros' closer, Ryan Presley. Aaron Hicks, of all people, and after this, I vowed that for a month, there was no Aaron Hicks criticism publicly. So that will include Twitter and this podcast. And I'm a man of my word. For those of you who have known me for a long time, I'm a man of my damn word. You have my word that I will not criticize Aaron Hicks no matter how valid it is. And it would be valid in some cases because Aaron Hicks still has his screw-ups here and there. I mean, look at the ninth inning in today's game. Trying to swing for the fences and striking out, which then led to Glaber Torres seemingly twisting, rolling, spraining, hopefully nothing worse than that at the worst, his ankle, having to leave the game. And that ended the ninth inning. But, listen, no criticism humongous moonshot of a game-tying three-run homer back on Thursday, and then Aaron Judge walked it off after that, like he walked off today, except today was with a home run. But then Friday comes around. They're facing Justin Verlander, and Verlander just takes it to them like we all expected him to, like everybody expects him to because of the just great pitcher he is and especially the season he's having, which doesn't come as a surprise to anybody because he's been doing it for years now, late in his career. And it's just a continued anomaly, what Verlander's continued to do, especially given his age and where he's at in his career. 
So the Yankees just very regularly lost 3-1. to one. And that kind of scoring is what you've seen throughout most of the weekend because the Astros really haven't taken it to the Yankees as far as just clubbing them or scoring a crap ton of runs. That's not how it's been done here. It's been done with low scoring and the Yankee bats just really struggling to get ahead, get anything going, especially, <laughs> especially yesterday with the combined no-hitter. The first no-hitter of any kind since 2003, since the Houston Astros again. Did it 19 years ago in 2003 with another combined no-hitter with a total of six pitchers used then. Yesterday was three. So first no-hitter of any kind against the Yankees in 19 years. And they could not touch Javier if they had a gun to their head yesterday, the Yankee offense. They had no answers for anything. And then today comes around. After the embarrassment yesterday... And it was really starting to look like, and Nestor didn't really even have that bad a start. Five innings, three runs, and one of the runs was just on the first pitch of the game to Altuve, who just continues to be our absolute freaking daddy. But other than that, just allowed a two-run single after that. And then I think it was Gurriel. Yeah, he advanced to second on the throw home. But he didn't really have a brutal start, Nestor. He did a fine job. It was whatever. The bullpen held it down after him, as the bullpen has done so much lately. The bullpen's really been back the last week or two. They've really been terrific again. Everybody, even the weaker links of it, like Castro or Litke, any of that, they've been they've been fine again. I still don't really trust guys like Litke, and, and Castro makes me nervous, but they've they've been fine. And it was really looking like, for the first time ever, we were about to witness a team getting no hit two days in a row. And in general, that's awful. But especially if you're the Yankees facing the Astros. All the recent history there with them, the last half decade. Which is really what made yesterday beyond embarrassing. And listen, I've preached it on this show plenty of times. If you had to tell me which one to celebrate more over, whether it be a traditional or a combined no-hitter, of course I think the traditional no-hitter is much more worth celebrating over. As far as I'm concerned, a combined no-hitter is still impressive because you still need multiple guys to come in and really have it down. And that's hard to do as well. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it means nothing, but I just still think that a traditional no-hitter, the same guy throughout the entire game, still just constantly going through the order over and over again and nobody having answers for him and being able to go the distance and no-hit a team, I will always think that's more impressive no matter what. But whether it be a traditional or combined no-hitter. It's still against the Astros, and it's morbidly embarrassing, because you know you're never going to hear the end of it. And that's really what I was saying after yesterday's combined no-hitter. I was just like, you know what? We're never hearing the end of this. And I just, thank God, I had my brother's graduation to go to, and I had a really busy night last night, because I was able to escape social media, which I hear was just the definition of insufferable. So I'm glad I was able to get away but that's mainly what I mentioned, how we just weren't going to hear the end of this. Because more so than it happening against just any other team, it's against the Astros. Given everything that's happened, specifically with them and the Yankees, the rivalry at stake the last half decade after everything that's happened, it was just brutal. I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing yesterday. Shocked into disbelief. And then you go into today, 
You're down 3 nothing. You're heading into the seventh inning against Jose Urquidy, of all people. Jose Urquidy, who has an ERA at almost 5. Yesterday, we, we somewhat understand, even though with this Yankee offense, it's still beyond baffling no matter what, but Javier has proven to be a good pitcher, and the Yankees just had no answers for him. But heading into today, with everything yesterday to pile onto it, and going into the seventh inning without a hit against Urquidy, I mean, it's just beyond anything we could understand. They had hit 16 consecutive innings without a hit, the Yankees, heading into the seventh inning today. Nobody could understand it. Everybody, including myself, beside ourselves. And then, before you know it, Stanton, solo shot into Monument Park, or the netting above Monument Park. (laughs) Game-tying, two-run shot by DJ LeMahieu, Clay Holmes comes in the ninth, holds the Astros at three. Yankees in the bottom of the ninth. Aaron Hicks up at the plate. All he's got to do is hit a fly ball. That's all he's got to do. Strikes out. No criticism. (laughs) And then we noticed that they had gunned the ball back to third to try to pick off Glaber, and Glaber's on the ground not moving, seemingly in pain. They tag him out. The inning's over. So, a strike him out and then throw him out on a pickoff double play to end the bottom of the ninth in a situation where all the Yankees needed to win was a lousy fly ball. Maybe not lousy. It has to be deep enough to score the run on a sack fly, but you get what I mean. They needed a fly ball. And now, you're going into extra innings, not only having not gotten the job done, but with Kleber Torres seemingly injured, and he did leave the game. Marvin Gonzalez came into the game in the 10th inning for him. And there's obviously, since the game had just ended, there's no word on Glaber Torres yet, at the time I'm recording at least. By the time you're listening to this, there'll probably be at least a little bit of word on him. And if any information does happen to come out while I'm still recording, I will let you know. (laughs) But just then you're feeling right back down in the dumps in the 10th inning, especially because Altuve is starting the inning to lead off. He starts it off, IKF bobbles a ball which cannot happen you cannot give away extra outs to the Astros but you also can't just waste an out on a routine ground ball against Jose Altuve not to mention with the heart of the order coming up after him I mean Matajevic after him who came in for Brantley who had some shoulder discomfort I believe I mean he's whatever but then you had Bregman and then after him you have Tucker and then after him you have Yuli Gurriel (laughs) You can't be giving away extra outs like that. But fortunately, despite IKF's mistake, and I am getting a little tired of IKF, just a little bit, (laughs) he and Donaldson, just saying right now, grouping them together because they were a part of that Minnesota trade, just saying right now, neither of them have been cutting it at the plate. Even more irritating to see out of Donaldson because he is costing the Yankees well over $20 million right now. Haven't been cutting at the plate. And IKF has even been pretty shaky defensively. Made some pretty bad mistakes on some plays that there should not be any mistakes on. And I'm really hoping that I'm not starting to look like I was right with my original opinion about this trade back when it first happened. Really hope so. Because I root for all the players on my team and I don't want my negative opinions to end up being correct. Still plenty of season left to go. We'll see, but... Not really liking how they're not cutting it at the plate right now and how 
IKF seems to be making these stupid mistakes on the field. I'm not about it. But anyway, despite that mistake, fortunately, the Yankees had a king on the mound, who also happens to have the last name of King, ironically, because despite basically having to get four outs, this guy strikes out Matajevic, then walks the bases loaded with Bregman. He gets Kyle Tucker to pop out. He gets Yuli Goriel to pop out. Somehow, against the heart of the Astros' order, in the top of the tent with the fake runner after giving away an extra out on a routine Altuve ground ball. Michael King escapes the jam. Bottom of the 10th, IKF by miracle. And if he would have screwed this up, (laughs) these wouldn't have been fun parts for him. (laughs) Yankee land. (laughs) My God. With two strikes, the guy somehow gets a complete defensive bunt down just in front of home plate to move Aaron Hicks up to third. That brings up a pinch-hitting Matt Carpenter who was immediately intentionally walked. DJ LeMay, who comes up, who tied the game in the first place with a bomb to left field on a hanging slider. He unfortunately strikes out. Aaron Judge comes up, who was responsible in the end for the walk-off on Thursday night, who had settled with the Yankees and avoided arbitration, and now is up in another big-time situation. And he hits a three-run homer into the visitor's bullpen to win the baseball game. And thankfully, salvaged some part of this series, resulting in a split, which in the end, despite yesterday's crap with the combined no-hitter, I will settle for a split. It's whatever. I will settle for it. I would have liked the series, and a sweep would have been just utterly unbelievable against the Astros, but... I would, have take, I would have preferred the series, of course. You obviously always do. But I will take the split. It's whatever. They now end this stretch, this 13-game stretch, against the best the American League has to offer with a 9-4 and record, which I'm pretty sure I predicted two weeks ago on the last Yapping Yankees episode in the Q&A. Pretty sure I had someone ask me what I think the Yankees will do in this stretch of 13 games facing Tampa twice, Toronto once in Toronto, and the Houston Astros for four right here at Yankee Stadium this weekend. Pretty sure he asked like eight and five or something like that, and I was like, eight and five, nine and four. I'll say nine and four because I believe in them. I'm almost positive that's what I said. But I definitely said nine and four is plenty reasonable. I would go with that, and that's what I would prefer over eight and five, obviously. You always prefer the better record. So, it would seem that I have nailed that. I will take 9-4. and four. Unbelievable end to this series. What started with a chaotic walk-off. Down 6-3 to three in the ninth inning on Thursday, winning the game. Friday, Verlander shutting the Yankees down. Yesterday, a completely embarrassing combined no-hitter. And today, ending with another remarkable walk-off after not having a single hit going into the seventh inning and having gone 16 consecutive innings going back to Friday night without a hit. And they managed to win the game today. If this weekend doesn't have your head spinning and questioning reality, I don't know what weekend of baseball will. (laughs) Maybe a weekend in the future that hasn't happened yet in the playoffs or something. I don't know. 
but against the other team in the American League, and quite frankly in baseball, other than the Mets maybe, with the best that the sport has to offer other than the Yankees, I don't know how you could find a weekend that makes your head spin more than this one. Utter chaos. And all that there's left to say after today, after today's game, this would have been a different episode if I started recording this before today's game, but I didn't. Came into the room and started recording after the game ended. And all that there is left to say, from me, from everybody, that everyone's been saying for months now, pay the man. Pay Aaron Judge whatever he wants. And listen, I know the whole blank check thing, I am exaggerating to a certain degree because you got to remember I'm coming fresh off a walk-off here, right? So give me a freaking break. But seriously, take a check, put it on the table, and say, Aaron, the line right there, that, that money line right over there, here's a pen, write whatever you want, and it's yours. Pay him. The infinite amount of respect, even more so than before. You guys know I've loved Aaron Judge since the beginning. You know this. But even more so, the guts, the balls on this guy, quite frankly, and quite bluntly, in a positive way, (laughs) to spit on what was a fair offer from the Yankees at the time. And I think we could all agree on that, looking back on it. At the time, it was fair. And said, no, I'm worth more than that. And you know what? The extension talks are going to stop after opening day. If we hit arbitration, then as much as I hate it, that's part of the business. But I'm going to prove to you that I'm worth more than this. And this guy got off to a bit of a slow start in the first couple of weeks or so, but ever since then... When he started his original absolute tear after he finally got the monkey off his back with his first home run at the beginning of the season after a couple of weeks. This guy, (laughs) Aaron James Judge, has, to say the least, proven that he is worth more, a lot more, than that original offer back on opening day when they were still negotiating right up to the first game of the season. He betted on himself, and he has proven himself. Still more season left to play, yes. And they did settle on $19 million just a few days ago, right before his hearing, so they settled before things even had a chance to get ugly. Thank God. The Yankees wanted to pay him 17 Judge wanted 21 They settled right in the middle of 19 Whatever gets it done without it getting ugly, I am in favor for. Thank God. But they settled. He'll make $19 million for this year. And he'll hit free agency in the winter because he said that he's not negotiating any more extensions for the rest of the season after opening day. So he'll ride this out, I assume. Unless something just changes and they do differently. But unless that does happen, that's what will happen going forward. And he's going to hit free agency and he's going to get paid. And at this point, if the Yankees let him get away, it would be an unforgivable travesty. Because talk about a guy betting on himself and then proving himself. That was just his 28th home run before. With that walk-off on June 26th. 28 home runs. 
The guy's unbelievable. The guy is a modern-day leader and captain. The guy proved himself. He continues to prove himself day in and day out. And he's even been sleeping a little bit here and there. He has been. The last week or week and a half, he hasn't necessarily done, like, a ton. Don't get me wrong, he's still done a good amount, but he's taken his offers, just not a ton necessarily. But even when he goes through a slight rough patch, he comes through and it matters, man. He comes through. <laughs> and the compilation of the numbers he's put together, it just, it cannot be said enough how much he has proven himself. It's just an undeniable truth. But thank God the Yankees won the game today, man. Thank God. Thank sweet baby Jesus and everything holy that the Yankees won the game today. Because after yesterday, I was in a pretty low place. And yes, while being in a low place over being combined no-node by the Astros, which if you're out there policing people, telling them they're not allowed to be upset over that because it's just another game, don't listen to those people. The Astros, after everything that's happened, threw a combined no-hitter against the Yankees. And even though, in my mind, it's not as impressive as a traditional no-hitter, it's still a no-hitter of some kind. And that stinks, and you're allowed to be upset over it. <laughs> Don't have people out here telling you you're not allowed to be upset. Especially when they head into the seventh inning in today's game, still not having a hit after 16 consecutive innings, and there are people out there saying, oh, you can't be upset over it. Listen, you're allowed. <laughs> Don't listen to those freaking people. So, but after that, I just, I needed the Yankees to at least split the series today. And not only did they split, but they did it in really incredible fashion with another walk-off. Both victories in this series being walk-offs, which is fun. And um, and I'm just very happy. I'm very happy they were able to finish it off because I was in a low place yesterday. And it's difficult to be in a low place in general because I will remind you, just as I tried to remind myself, because it's easy to forget sometimes, because when they do this well, you get spoiled. Inevitably. That's the case with anybody. But you look at this Yankee team. They were coming into today's game with a 23-11 and record against good teams while people were still trying to tell us that the Yankees can't be good teams. Let me tell you something. Heading into today and still going forward because this, you know, the Yankees didn't exactly take it to Houston. They had a couple of great wins this weekend, but... They didn't exactly take it to them. <laughs> but the Yankees don't really have a good team's problem. They don't have a good team's problem at all. They took it to Tampa again twice, even though they had a couple of shaky games there, and they had to win some of them late as well, especially the third game at the drop. But they took it to Tampa again. They took it to the Blue Jays again, and the Blue Jays had to pull out this unbelievable win against the weakest links in the Yankee bullpen to avoid being swept in their own stadium. They took it to those two teams again, which are, which are a couple of the other teams in the American League that are the best the American League has to offer. And they still, at the end of the day, managed to at least split with the Astros. But even heading into today when they had lost two out of the three games so far, I think it's pretty fair to say that it's time to kill the narrative, and I've been saying this for weeks now, but it's time to kill the narrative that the Yankees are not good against good teams, and all they do is beat bad teams. It's not true, and it wasn't true before this series either. Because even heading into today's after yesterday's travesty of a combined no-hitter, which sucked to watch, but the Yankees were still 23-11. and 23-11. and 
against teams above 500. Now they're 24 and 11, even better. Their opponents, the Astros, I'm pretty sure they haven't even faced a team above 500 half the times that the Yankees have. And they don't have they don't have nearly as good a record against teams above 500 as the Yankees do. So after this weekend, it's time to kill the narrative that the Yankees only beat bad teams. It's not true. Even after yesterday. If you want to convince me of any problem the Yankees have at all, I would say they have a Houston Astros problem. Because for the most part, they have not been able to beat this team to really take it to them and take them down for the better part of the last half decade, especially when it matters most in October. These are undeniable facts. As much of the fact of the matter as Jose Altuve owns us. No matter how much you boo him, no matter how much you chant F Altuve, it doesn't matter. It seems to fuel the guy. He owns the Yankees. So these are two facts. The Yankees have had a tough time against them, and they had a tough time against them this weekend. They did come away with the split. They did come away with the split. I'm happy about it. I acknowledge it. Yes. (laughs) But they didn't take it to them, obviously. And they still had a lot of yikes moments throughout this weekend. And of course, the Astros have mainly handled them, especially when it matters most, the last five years, whether it be via cheating or not. (laughs) So, that's just the fact of the matter. So if you want to argue with me that the Yankees have a Houston Astros problem, I'd be willing to level with you. But it's time to kill the narrative that the Yankees only beat bad teams. It's time to kill it. It is time to kill it. It's tired. It's old. And people will clearly find any sort of narrative, even if it's not true, to try to cope with the fact that the Yankees are a damn good team again because they just can't handle it. As much as my own fan base, the Yankee fan base, can be irrational at times, so can the opposing ones who can't stand them. Coming up with these BS narratives that they can't beat good teams. They're 24 and 11 against teams over 500 now. What are you talking about, man? What are you talking about? Like I said, you want to argue with me that they have a Houston Astros problem? I would agree with that. I would, even after this weekend, because again, they didn't exactly take it to them. They had a couple of incredible, fun victories, yes. But still not the utmost of confidence against Houston. And that's a problem. Because who are you going to have to get through on your path to the World Series, inevitably? The Astros. It's been that way for the better part of the last five years, and it's not going to change. They may have lost Correa. They may have lost Springer. But they're still a damn good team. <laughs> You're going to have to get through them. And October is when it really matters. Yeah, the, in, at the end of the day, these are just random games in June. Yeah, sure. But I'm still, I still don't have the utmost of confidence against them. They still have more games against them to go. I think they have a random-ass middle-of-the-week game in Houston coming up this week or the week after. I'll have to double-check that as the episode goes along. But in those remaining games, you got to do something else against them. And then, of course, when it truly matters in October, that's when it really, really matters, obviously. Because I think it's pretty obvious at this point that both teams are making the playoffs and making it pretty safely at that probably as the top two best teams in the in the league. But 
got to show us something here a little bit more against the Astros, a little bit more, because I will still argue that the Yankees have a bit of an Astros problem, just to say the least. (laughs) They have a bit of a Houston Astros problem. They don't have a good teams or bad teams problem. They have an Astros problem. And not just after this weekend, if you're still iffy like I am, because the wins weren't exactly crushing. They were crushing in the sense that they're deflating for the Astros, but not crushing winning like 15-3 to is what I'm saying. You understand, hopefully. But they got to show us a little bit more against the Astros, a little more of a commanding victory, because at no point in this series, other than at the moments when they walked it off, did the Yankees even have a lead in this entire series. The offense was quiet a great amount of the time. Not to mention the fact that they went 16 consecutive innings from Friday night until the 7th inning today. I think the last hit until the 7th inning when Stanton went deep. I'm pretty sure the last hit was a DJ leadoff single in the bottom of the 8th on Friday night. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. So, still some shaky takeaways from this weekend while also having a couple of really fun takeaways on walk-offs, but... Going to need a little more, especially given how the Astros have owned us for the better part of the last five years, especially when it matters. And I think that's plenty fair to say. I do. But nonetheless, like I said, a make-your-head-spin-in-disbelief kind of weekend from where we were on Thursday to where we ended up today after today's game. I don't even know my ass from my elbow right now, if we're being honest, because it was just so friggin' nuts. What a weekend, guys, and I've spent about a half an hour talking about all of it. I basically don't even have to recap this weekend and recap later, because I basically went in on it. (laughs) Just throughout this dire intro. So, I'll briefly mention it later on, but I don't really have to go in-depth on detail. Besides, we've got two freaking weeks to to catch up on, because we didn't have an episode last Sunday, which reminds me, last Sunday was Father's Day, which is why we didn't have an episode. I do hope that all of the... Good dads out there had themselves a well-deserved Happy Father's Day. I know I enjoyed mine with my dad, and I hope you did with yours as well. And my thoughts are with those who, of course, might have complicated relationships with their father or maybe have lost their father if they passed away, regardless of how old you are. So my thoughts are with those people, but otherwise, I hope everybody had an enjoyable Father's Day. And I also want to give a quick shout-out to my brother really quick because of something that I briefly just mentioned before amidst my intro tirade, (laughs) I want to give a very big shout out and congratulations here on Yapping Yankees to my little brother, my big little brother, who's taller than me now, my little brother Thomas. And I did mention before that it was his graduation night last night, and it's graduation time for lots of people, of course. Yesterday happened to be my brother's last night, and I just have to say I couldn't be prouder of my brother Thomas, who's honestly aside from being my brother, is also basically my best friend. We're each other's best friends, to get personal for a second. (laughs) So congrats, kid. God knows how much I love you. I love you to death. I don't know what I'd do without you, and I cannot believe, after still remembering like it was yesterday, holding you in the hospital when you were born, because we have a big age difference. I was seven and a half when my brother Thomas was born. So I literally remember holding him in the hospital when he was born which makes it even more surreal to me that not only did he turn 18 last month when I gave him another shout-out on a prior episode after he turned 18, but makes it even more surreal that he has now graduated from high school. 
it, it's just it, I can't even believe it. <laughs> I don't have any words for it. I just feel old. That's all. <laughs> Congratulations, Thomas. I love you so so much. My mom is probably gonna make him hear this part of the episode. <laughs> so, but I I just love him so much. Love my brother to death, and I just had to give him a shout out on the episode today because I'm so freaking proud of him. He's at a graduation party right now, so he's not even home as I'm taping right now. But nonetheless, just wanted to give him a shout on today's episode. So congratulations to Thomas and congratulations to everybody else who's graduating right about now, whether it be college, high school, elementary school, whatever it is. Congratulations to everybody, but especially to my absolute best friend and the best brother an older brother could ask for, my brother Thomas. Okay. We are like 32 minutes into this episode already. Time is flying like it always does. And I just basically went in on everything that's happened this weekend. But we still got two weeks worth of action to recap. Not so much last week. I usually breeze through the first week in a two-week catch-up pretty fast. Because otherwise we'll be here till tomorrow morning. But we got two weeks worth of stuff <laughs> to catch up on. And... Just another quick update on today's episode, by the way. There's not going to be a social media segment on today's episode because yesterday, on the day being Saturday, that I usually post my social media segments on, obviously yesterday, even after the Yankee game and everything, and that was right after it was when my brother's graduation was, we went out afterwards and we hung out for the night. It was a really crazy day celebrating and hanging out yesterday, going to the graduation and all that good stuff. I just completely forgot slash did not have time to post a social media segment. So we're just not having one for this week, but we'll have one again for next week's episode for episode 145, I promise. But for this week, no social media segment. So we're just going to recap the past two weeks, talk about a couple of the other things that have happened in Yankees news, and that'll be it for today. Just a fun-ass episode, especially mainly what I've talked about already, just amidst all the craziness from this weekend against Houston. After today's fourth and final game resulting in a series split. And yeah. <laughs> I I just, if I had done today's episode before today's game, this would have been a very different episode, obviously. <laughs> because before today's hectic action and resulting in a split, thank God, of course, we were just riding on what happened yesterday. So, of course based on some of the notes I had prepared, and just in general, because what happened yesterday would have been the most recent thing if I had recorded before today's game, this would have been a very different episode. So this intro, like most of mine are, has just been, I'd write down notes and things like that, but that's the most. This has just been a complete winging of an intro, because just a completely different episode and a completely different mindset, of course, if you're doing a Yankee show after the game as opposed to prior to the game today. So this has been interesting. A lot of fun already. But you know what? It's going to get even more fun as we run through the last two weeks and continue to disprove the theory amidst us going through it that the Yankees have a difficult time against good teams because they don't. <laughs> Again, you want to argue with me about having an Astros problem? Fine. Against good teams in general? Shut up. It's a tired, old, and quite frankly, false narrative. As we almost head into July, believe it or not. And they are now, after today, 24-11. and 11. I want to keep repeating that to try to defeat this narrative as much as possible. 
that the Yankees are 24-11 and after today's win resulting in a series split against Houston against good teams. Teams over 500. 24-11. and Shut your mouths. <laughs> I am all for being completely honest and completely upfront about just straight-up facts. Like the Yankees do have trouble with the Astros and Jose Altuve owns us. As much as all that stuff tastes like vinegar coming out of my mouth, I'm still willing to admit it because it's the truth and I am one of the most unbiased Yankee fans you will talk to. But I'm not going to settle for a tired and false narrative like the Yankees just have, in general, trouble beating good teams because they don't. So get the hell out of here with that because I'm tired of hearing about it. And it's not like anything that we've seen so far is a small sample size at this point because I, I want to remind you that we are almost in July. Again, we're a few days away from the month of July. Yes, we are nearly halfway through the season already. Which is unbelievable. Unbelievable to fathom because we all know that despite the season being 162 games, that it still goes by as quickly as any other season for any other sport. But despite it going quickly... And despite the Yankees still having massive struggles against the Astros this weekend, let's just try to remember the fact that while we balance all of that, just try to also remember where the Yankees are, what they've done, how killer the pitching is, how many categories the offense leads or almost leads the entire sport in, despite having their, tr- their struggles here and there, especially the last week or two, they have certainly had their off days, but... Let us try to remember in the grand scheme of things with the pitching, bullpen and rotation, overall top tier ERA, the the offense leading in home runs, run differential, top two in the league in other stats, slugging, on-base percentage, OPS, OPS+, WRC+, all these stats, their comeback win stats and not allowing other teams to come back when the Yankees are winning for the vast majority of the time. What this team has accomplished still has still been historical. This is a historical team so far. And despite occasional rough patches, you don't need me or anyone else to tell you that. Are there flaws on the team? Yeah. That goes with the occasional rough patches. But I got news for you in case you didn't already know this. There were also flaws on every other historic team regardless of how few of them there were. No team is perfect, and even the best teams ever in the history of baseball lose over 40 games in a season. It's important to remember these things. So you can acknowledge certain struggles and certain teams that the Yankees tend to struggle against, i.e. the Astros. But let's also not forget all the positives, where they still are in the grand scheme of things. You can mention both. Because they're both true. And you could still be excited about today's game. And still at least be alright with the fact that they at least split the series. Which of course is better than losing 3 out of 4. Especially the day after a combined no-hitter in your own freaking stadium. Or maybe even getting swept at home. Which very well could have happened. Because both the Yankee victories were walk-offs. And they could have very well lost both of the games that they won. But they came away with the split. 
That's baseball. Walk-offs happen. You take advantage of certain mistakes from the opposition. It happens. <laughs> a win is a win. All those things can be true. And they can balance each other out. All right, I think we've talked enough about all of it. We're 40 minutes in now. But anyway, <laughs> anyways, just a couple of pieces of Yankees news that you should know about before we go on to recapping. The Yankee bullpen is looking to have some reinforcements as well. I just want to mention these couple of things real quick. But Luizica and Chapman are on their ways back. And despite Luizica's struggles when he was still around, I'm still a huge fan and believer in Luizica because he's got great stuff. And if the reason why he was struggling was because of these shoulder issues that usually when he tends to do not so well, it seems like it's because the shoulder acts up. So if this problem's solved, if we even get a fraction of last year's Jonathan Luizaga back, the upgrade that is for the bullpen, it's invaluable. <laughs> so if any version of that Luizaga comes back, I cannot wait for him to get back. Can't happen soon enough. Chapman, the one who seems to be closer to becoming back, though, I mean, listen, um, if you want to consider Chapman to be a reinforcement, that's your business, but in any event, he seems to be on his way back when Chapman's on, of course, you can't touch him when he's off, which it seems like he's been off for the vast majority of the season, and especially in humongous, colossal moments for the Yankees in general the last couple of years, but neither here nor there, but he's nearly on the way back, so you'll have him in the bullpen as well. As far as what they'll do, I discussed this already. You'll probably see guys like Banuelos or Ron Marinaccio, who's been pretty good. <laughs> He's been pretty solid. Probably see names like that sent back down to AAA. But, yeah, they're close to coming back. I'm especially looking forward to Luizaga coming back more than anything. I just don't trust Aroldis Chapman anymore. So, I'm, of course, I don't want anybody to be hurt. So, I'm happy he's coming back in that sense. But... I especially just don't want Chapman anywhere near the ninth inning anymore, which I hear he's going to be, which I'm not happy about. But I'm especially excited to see what Luizaga's got after dealing with these shoulder issues, and he's finally on his way back, and seeing if after all this time of rest and recovery, we can get even a fraction of 2021 Luizaga back. And if we do, it's going to be a big freaking deal, man. It really is. And also, really quick, just another quick mention. I already mentioned it before, so I'm not going to spend much time on it at all. But the other big piece of Yankees news, to avoid arbitration, Judge and the Yankees did settle on a price before anything had a chance to get ugly. Thank God. Judge wanted $21 million. The Yankees were only willing to give 17 as of a while back. Which is driving fans everywhere, including myself, crazy because we see what he's doing this year. Only problem is, is that they come up with that price based off of last year's production. Has nothing to do with what he's done this year so far. But nonetheless, you know, trying to put that aside, I mean, he even had a great year last year. So just, just give it to him. <laughs> Don't try to cheap out because if this gets ugly, you know, that could put a stinker on the rest of the year in many different facets of the team, obviously including Judge himself possibly, over just a couple of million dollars to your star player. But fortunately, they were able to settle directly in the middle before arbitration, before the hearing. And they settled on $19 million. So now, with $19 million, that'll be what Judge makes this year. 
will coast through the rest of the season not having to worry about this crap anymore, thank God. He'll hit free agency in the winter, and especially if he continues what he's done so far this year, and if this season happens to end with a beautiful World Series title to go with it, hopefully the Yankees do whatever they can, whatever they can, not willing to hear any freaking excuses, especially from the New York Yankees, to bring him back. But for now, it's really nice that this didn't even go to hearing, didn't have an opportunity to get ugly or anything. They were able to settle right in the middle of what both sides wanted, and that's that. So that's done. No more talking about what could happen with arbitration for this year. It's done. (laughs) A couple more things real quick. The Yankees did get Albert Abreu back after he was DFA'd by Kansas City. And the reason why I mention this or make even somewhat of a big deal about it is because if you remember, Abreu was basically the big name piece in the trade for Jose Trevino a couple of months back. And now the Yanks just got him right back. So with the exception of just a smaller prospect, Trevino is now virtually for free. (laughs) And the reason it's cool is because this sort of a thing gives you shades of the Glaber trade with the Cubs from years back when the Yanks traded Chapman and then got him right back, making Glaber virtually free in that trade. So it's very similar to that. Obviously not as big a deal, but it's really similar to that in the sense that you make a trade and then amidst getting that player from that other team who you traded your guys for, you get who you traded for back anyway. So you virtually got the other one for free, ultimately. It's just like that. I have my criticisms of Cashman, dude. I really do. I criticize the guy sometimes, and other times he does great things that I'm thrilled about. But when it comes to things like this, I love when he pulls this crap, man. (laughs) When he makes a trade and then he just gets the guy back anyway, ultimately making who they traded for free, pretty much. (laughs) It's just great. Anyways, in turn, the Yankees did DFA David McKay as a result of doing this, so... Best of luck to him, whether he winds up elsewhere or back here ultimately. And welcome back to Albert Abreu with the Yankees picking him up again. And I definitely, I don't understand him replacing Schmidt for the time being, even if it's just temporary in the long run, but best of luck to him either way. He did pitch a scoreless inning the other night. Obviously, if you're on the Yankees, like I always say, even if I start off with a negative opinion with a certain player, I root for you because your success is the Yankees' success. So, of course, the same applies for Abreu and for the rest of the players, even though some of them drive me insane. (laughs) And I was going to talk a little bit about how much of a sham of a popularity contest the All-Star game continues to be, and I guess I could just briefly mention it right now because we are really taking a lot of time here, but it really is just out of control at this point. I saw the All-Star Game chart like a, a few days ago, so I'm going to have to pull it up now to try to get it back and remember things, but there were certain, there was a couple of things that really, really bothered me that I saw, and it really just continues to prove how much of a popularity contest, a lame one at that, that the All-Star Game for baseball continues to be. I mean, you look at some of the American League starters on the roster, You have Alejandro Kirk behind the plate for the Blue Jays, which is fine, I guess, but I definitely think Jose Trevino should be in the running for that with what he's done with the Yankees since coming over. 
I mean, it's pretty incredible. Vlad Guerrero Jr. at first base. I guess I could live with that. There are a lot of other things I have much more of a problem with. I think you could definitely give an argument for Ty France, though. Because Ty France is just having a fantastic year. Second base, Jose Altuve. Eh, that's fine. It's whatever. Third base... While I don't have a humongous problem with this, the one in first place right now is Rafael Devers. I want to see Jose Ramirez in there. Devers is batting 334. He's having a killer season. OPS around 1,000. 17 home runs, 45 RBIs, 993 OPS, 170 OPS plus. It's, it's solid. It really is. But I think I'd rather Jose Ramirez in there because... You look at Jose Ramirez's numbers, it's 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 just insane. Rafael Devers does have a slightly higher war, a little less than one, but Ramirez's average is around 300, 296, 382 on base, 607 slugging, 990 OPS, they have around the same OPS. OPS plus is 10 higher at 180. Listen, I don't have that big an issue with Rafael Devers being at third, but I would definitely still strongly consider Jose Ramirez. I, I don't think that's ridiculous to say whatsoever. So I have a, a tiny problem with that, probably. The, the main problem I have is with shortstop. This is a real issue that I have. I think there should be more competition with catcher as well, but with shortstop, Bo Bichette being the starting shortstop is an issue for me. You're looking at people like Xander Bogarts, who, just for a few stats, for an example, 330 batting average, 6 home runs, 31 RBIs, 874 OPS. Even a Tim Anderson, 339 average, 5 home runs, 19 RBIs, 844 OPS. Bobachette, I mean, yeah, he's got more RBIs than anybody, but I mean, you look at other stats, I mean, Tim Anderson, even though he's only played 44 games, he's had some injury troubles, he's batting 346. 383 on base, 478 slugging, 861 OPS, 145 OPS plus. And you look at Bo Bichette's stats, and yes, while he has the most RBIs, only 1.2 war, he's batting 256, a 301 on base percentage, 428 slugging, 728 OPS, a 106 OPS plus. It's it's not even a discussion when you talk about who's better offensively. And the same thing goes for defense, to be honest with you. And if you look at Xander Bogarts especially, who's the one that I'd like to see in. Because, I mean, he's played basically the entire season. Little to no, basically no injury troubles whatsoever. Batting 333, 397 on base percentage, nearly 400. 481 slugging, 877 OPS, 142 OPS+. plus. Six home runs, 31 RBIs. Bobachet is 39. I, I think it's I think it's a travesty to have Bobachet there. <laughs> this is just another example of what we've talked about. This is an age-old problem with the All-Star game about how it's just a big popularity contest. And in the case of the Blue Jays, it's a problem because you have an entire country behind one team. That's a massive advantage. And there are a ton of baseball fans out there. And this is a big problem. This is a big problem in any voting system, even in politics, of course. But people don't have the ability, a lot of people, don't have the ability to be objective. 
they don't have the ability to balance out all proper statistics for any certain given thing and make an objective, unbiased opinion, vote, what have you. A lot of people out there are completely incapable of possessing this ability. Completely incapable. And this has been the case with the All-Star Game for a while, and which is why for a while now, years, I have pushed for fan voting to be done with. Have it be a balance between multiple things. Have it be a balance between MLB staff, like coaches, managers, what have you. And have it be a balance between them and fans, maybe, and maybe even league officials. Have it be a big balance of some kind. You can't have it be solely on the fans because there are so many people in society who do not have the ability to be unbiased if a gun was to their head. So this presents a problem with voting like this. This presents a problem. Shortstop's an issue here. You can make a little bit of a stink about catcher, maybe. But Kirk is having himself a fine season, so it's really not that bad. I could live with him. But you can make a case for Jose Ramirez at third base. You have the biggest case in the world about shortstop. I mean, that's just utterly ridiculous. But another thing having to do with the Toronto voting, why is George Springer out there? What is someone like Kyle Tucker not doing out there? And this is how you know that I'm unbiased, as if I don't have enough examples on my resume to prove how unbiased I am as a fan. Because Kyle Tucker's an Astro, even though he wasn't involved in the cheating, but you get it. What is Kyle Tucker not doing as an outfielder, and George Springer is an outfielder? What's the deal with that? Kyle Tucker, nearly all of his numbers are better than George Springer. All of them. So it's obvious the fan base causing a problem this year for the All-Star Game is the Toronto Blue Jays fan base. I understand wanting to vote for your favorite players and everything, but and even if they only get in that bat or two, or they get subbed out of the game eventually like players always do in the All-Star Game because everybody's got to try to get some sort of time in the game, I know, but people who deserve to be there and aren't there in favor of others, just because fans want to vote for their favorite players, that's bias, that's unfair, that's crap. Which is what this voting system has been for the All-Star game for God knows how long. For a pointless game that has no meaning anymore. At least then it used to determine who had home field advantage for the World Series. It doesn't even do that anymore. It's completely meaningless. Which makes this even more irritating because it's already pointless. And now you have the voting system just not meaning anything, so it devalues it even more. And people can't even vote correctly. George Springer and Bo Bichette should not be starting. I mean, it says here that Springer's third and Stanton's fourth. That's ridiculous, too. Stanton's better than Springer this year. And Stanton missed about a week and a half due to injury. And he's still better in most facets. It's just the truth. It's, 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 there's no bias involved here. Look at the numbers. I don't have to be here till tomorrow to give you everybody's stats. 
So it's just people need to learn how to vote. And because people constantly prove that they don't know how, the All-Star Game fan voting should just be done with. There needs to be a balance here. League officials, MLB staff like coaches, managers, the whole deal. And you could balance that with fans as well. Maybe even have the players in on it. I mean, of course, they'd probably vote, be tempted to vote for themselves, but just have a balance. So it's not just one thing, because there are too many people out there who cannot be unbiased. They can't. And it's been proven. So that's my mini all-star game rant. (laughs) That I'm just tired of talking about this every year and how people just have a complete inability to properly vote. It's really annoying. So the all-star game, which like I said has become a sham of a popularity contest, just proves again to be so this year. There are a couple of things I'm on the fence about, but there are a couple of positions on the field right now for starters that I take big issue with. And even for pitching, if guys like Nestor, if guys like Clay Holmes, two main Yankee pitchers, and this is unbiased, look at the numbers. I'm not saying this because they're Yankees. If guys like that are not on the all-star team, just speaking from my own team's perspective, that's a crime. Especially a guy like Clay Holmes. Because I know in his last few starts, Nestor has actually, believe it or not, come back down to earth a little bit. I mean, it's bound to happen eventually. People make adjustments. More innings get taxed on the arm. Things happen. It happens. But especially a guy like Clay Holmes. If guys like that are not in the All-Star game, same reason why Loisaga wasn't in the All-Star game last year. Look at what Loisaga did last year. People have got to learn how to vote. They've got to learn how to vote. Do your research. It's obviously not done yet. We'll see how it turns out. But as it is right now, there are a handful of problems that I already have with it. And a lot of people have with it. A lot. Even if the All-Star game doesn't have as much value anymore. It still does something when you could look at a player's resume and be like, he was uh, this amount of times All-Star. And when you get snubbed for it, it's crap. So, just wanted to address that for a little bit, but before we get any further, since we are already almost an hour in here, let's zoom through these past two weeks recap-wise, as we again continue to disprove the horse crap theory that the Yankees only beat bad teams. Let's hop into that yapping Yankees time machine. Let's go. All right, so two Sundays ago, if you remember, two Sundays was that ridiculous final game against the Cubs in which the Yankees won 18-4 to at the stadium. They had an off day on Monday the 13th, and Tuesday the 14th started this 13-game stretch that just wrapped up today where the Yankees were facing a few of the teams that represent what I called the best the American League has to offer. And... They did a fairly nice job because, as I just told you before, wrapping up with today, they officially went 9-4 and four on this stretch. But let's start really quick with the game on Tuesday the 14th. It was against the Rays. The Yankees did win 2 to nothing, behind a great start by Garrett Cole, six shutout innings, two-thirds shutout innings by Wandy Peralta, an inning and a third shutout by King, and Clay Holmes' 10th save of the year. 
and the Yankees would score their two runs on an RBI single by Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, and a throwing error by Randy Rosarena, which would also allow Glaber Torres to score after Stanton. That would make it 2 to nothing. That happened in the bottom of the fourth, and that's the score the Yankees would win by to open up the three-game set at the stadium with a victory. Wednesday would come around. This game would be much closer, lots of fun. Aaron Judge doing his thing as usual. Also, the Yankees got a pretty good start out of Nestor Cortez, five and a third innings, just allowing one run. Wandy Peralta would come in after him, going inning and two-thirds scoreless. Peralta's just been really big for the Yankees. Miguel Castro made things interesting by allowing two more runs in two-thirds of an inning. Litke would get an out after him, and Clay Holmes would again get another save, his 11th of the year. And offensively, the Yankees opened up scoring in the bottom of the first on a solo shot by Aaron Judge. Of course, his 25th of the year made it 1-0, a three-run shot by Kyle Higashioka in the bottom of the fifth. And this was really when Higashioka, on top of the home runs that he had against the Cubs, even though one of them was against their position player, <laughs> it really started to seem like he was finding his home run stroke again, which is it's about damn time, like we were saying back then, two weeks ago. So... His three-run homer made it 4 to nothing. Obviously, Nestor would allow one run to Margot, and then Miguel Castro would allow the runs by Choi and Pinto on RBI singles each. That would make it 4-3 to three Yankees, and they would hold on to win 4-3. to three. They'd go for the sweep on Thursday, and they would get it by winning 2-1. to one. This was looking like it was in doubt, though, because the Yankee offense was real quiet. The only, the only thing that they scored was two runs, one in the sixth, one in the ninth. Clark Schmidt started this game. The Yankees had a bit of a bullpen day. All kids. Clark Schmidt, first three innings, shutout. Great job by him. And then after him, there was this big buzz about this guy after this appearance. Ryan Weber. He would go three and two-thirds in his debut with the Yankees after having been called up just for this game. He would go three and two-thirds, only allowing one run, a solo shot to Francisco Mejia. He did a very nice job. The fans were very nice to him on his way out. He did a fantastic job, really. It was awesome to watch him pitch. Ron Marinaccio after him went an inning and a third scoreless. And Michael King in the end. He would also get the win by pitching a scoreless ninth before the Yankees would walk it off in the bottom of the ninth. But that Francisco Mejia solo shot was the only run the Rays scored on the night. It was the first run that scored on the night off of Weber. But after that, Anthony Rizzo did his thing. As a matter of fact, one could argue, and it is the truth, that the final score of this game was Rizzo 2 and the Rays 1. Because in the bottom of the 6th, Rizzo would tie the game at 1 on an RBI single. Offense was dead all day other than him. And the bottom of the ninth, he came up again, and with his 16th home run of the year, a solo bomb to right field, he would give the Yankees the walk-off victory and the sweep over the Tampa Bay Rays. The very injured Tampa Bay Rays, might I add. But they're still having themselves a fine season, and the Yankees are handling them, this series being another example of that. So the Yankees would be riding high, heading into Toronto last weekend, and their goodness continued, except for that third game. But it still took a lot for them to lose that game, even, and they nearly came back with that, like they do in a lot of their losses, like we've mentioned. In the very few losses they've had this year, even in those losses, they make it real interesting. But these first two games, boy. <laughs> the Blue Jays might have gotten on the board first in this game on a Moreno RBI single, but the Yankees made them pay after that, let me tell you. 
Starting this game, the first one was Jordan Montgomery. He went six innings, only allowed two runs. Another fantastic start for him. Banuelos, Miguel Castro, and Lucas Lipke combined for the last three innings of the game, only allowing one run, Banuelos allowed, all the way in the seventh inning. So, another fine example of the pitching doing a very nice job. And the offense, which is something they didn't do in the Rays series, was (laughs) unstoppable. Top of the fourth, Glaber Torres, RBI double. Kyle Higashioka, RBI ground out, made it 2-1. John Carlos Stanton, two-run nuke to make it 4-1. DJ LeMahieu right after him, back-to-back. Solo shot, made it 5-1. Joey Gallo, RBI double, made it 6-1. And then Anthony Rizzo. Mind you, in the top of the fifth, they scored eight of their 12 runs in the game. And this inning alone, it would be capped off by a grand Slam, Grand Salami by Forza Rizzo, 17th home run of the year, and this home run went above the second deck, off of that electronic sign that says Toronto Blue Jays over it, over the second deck, hit that, (laughs) the freaking atom bomb, that made it 10 to 1, the Blue Jays would score two more on a solo shot by Kirk in the bottom of the 6th, and another RBI single by Moreno in the bottom of the 7th. And then in the top of the ninth, just to make them pay for that, because why not? Like we've said so many times this season in so many games, Joey Gallo would hit a two-run homer to make it 12-3 in the top of the ninth, and that would be the final score. Just a murder in Toronto. And even if it wasn't necessarily a scoring barrage like it was in Game 1, Game 2 also had a very satisfying victory of its own because the Yankees didn't even allow any runs. <laughs> Tyon started the game, and he continued his dominance against the Blue Jays this year, which is awesome to see. Very important. Five and two-thirds, scoreless for him with eight strikeouts. Very nicely done. Michael King, who we've said so often, is back. He continued to be back, as he still is, even proven in today's Astros game. But he went two scoreless innings, followed by Clay Holmes getting the last four outs of the game. And really all it took scoring-wise, since obviously the Blue Jays didn't score at all, The Yankees just scored four runs, three of them in the top of the fourth when it seemed like the Yankee offense was going to have another quiet day of all people to come through. Aaron Hicks, who, as we know, has driven me and everybody else undeniably insane this year. But between this, a couple of other big hits he's had in the last couple of weeks, and of course, Thursday night's game, even though he still does things to irritate us, (laughs) a lot of us have made vows to hold off on the criticism for now. So... This is another example of that. Three-run double in the top of the fourth of this game to make it 3 to nothing. Isaiah Conner-Falefa, who has really done, as I've said and as everybody said, little to nothing at the plate for some time now. Well, he did something here. In the top of the sixth, an insurance run. RBI double to make it 4 to nothing would obviously be the final. Sunday, this was the crazy game that the Yankees barely lost, and they definitely shouldn't have lost, because they were leading 8-3 to three at one point. The pitching in this game, on both sides, no good. Severino had nothing going. Five innings, five runs allowed. Miguel Castro allowed two runs. Wandy Peralta allowed three runs. Ron Marinaccio, who got the last four outs for the Yankee bullpen, was the only pitcher to go scoreless. And the Blue Jays' side was bad, too. This, just the scoring was back and forth and back and forth. And the Yankees had a big lead. Really big lead. The Blue Jays did open up the scoring, though, on a two-run shot by Vlad Guerrero Jr. in the bottom of the first. A bullet, a piss missile, (laughs) right over the left field wall. 
but the Yankees crept back in and even made him pay for that. Glaber Torres, top of the second, solo shot. Top of the third, Josh Donaldson, one of very few things that he as well has done at the plate lately. Go-ahead two-run shot. Really big bat flip after not being happy about barely being skimmed by a pitch. In his first at-bat, that made it 3-2. to two. Top of the fifth, Aaron Judge, RBI double. What a shocker. Glaber Torres after him, two-run double to make it 6-2. to two. Then George Springer would hit a solo shot in the bottom of the fifth. That would be the last run that Severino gave up, at least while he was on the mound, because it was partially charged to him with what Miguel Castro did after him, obviously. But... Top of the sixth, George Springer hit that home run. The Yankees came right back again. Two more runs on solo shots by the most unlikely people you could imagine. Kyle Higashioka and Marwin Gonzalez, his first of the year. Marwin, who's also done little to nothing at the plate this year. But he got a solo shot. Some insurance made it 8-3. to three. And then this is when the collapse happened. Bases loaded. Lourdes Goriel Jr. was up at the plate. Two runners on base were Severino's responsibility. Another was Castro's as well, of course, Lourdes Goriel Jr. at the plate being his responsibility because he was pitching. Lourdes Goriel hit a grand slam. So charged those fourth and fifth runs to Seve, unfortunately, and the sixth and seventh runs to Miguel Castro. So it's eight to seven now. And at this point, you're like, I don't like this. And that's what I was thinking, too. Bottom of the seventh, Wandy Peralta on the hill. He's done a fantastic job. This is really probably like the only blemish of the season on him. He allows a go-ahead three-run homer to Teoscar Hernandez to straightaway center made it 10-8. to eight. Top of the eighth, Anthony Rizzo made it a little closer with his 18th home run of the year. Solo shot made it 10-9. to nine. And in the top of the ninth, the Yankees made it interesting. Stanton and Hicks reached base. Stanton on a walk and Hicks on a single. It was second and third after Hicks stole second with two outs. And Anthony Rizzo, again, who has been such a hero lately, he hit a sharp ground ball to shortstop, unfortunately, for the Yankees, fielded by Bo Bichette. Game over. Yankees almost come back in what was just a wild game. And despite it was definitely a game they probably shouldn't have lost, <laughs> being up 8-3, to three, they still took the series. Can't win them all. Whatever, move on to Tampa, and that's exactly what they did. Monday, they went to the Trop. They would win the game by a score of 4-2, to two, mainly led by Garrett Cole, who, again, he, he's been back, man. Seven and a third, only allowing one hit and one run. Unfortunately, that one run was a big one. And it wasn't even, it wasn't even when he was on the mound. <laughs> it was when Clay Holmes, believe it or not, was on the mound, which is... Just a lot of things happened in this game that nobody expected. But the scoring opened up on an Anthony Rizzo, again, a solo shot in the top of the first. His 19th of the year made it one to nothing, And then Jose Trevino, after that, on an error, on a ground ball. And Choi just dropped the ball at first base when Trevino was running to first. So that made it two to nothing. A run came home on that. And you were thinking... This game was a win because they were winning two to nothing. And Garrett Cole again, after having taken a perfect game into the seventh inning, into the eighth inning here, he took a no hitter into the eighth. So again, Garrett Cole flirting with history. Unfortunately, couldn't be done because he did give up his hit, and then he got one out on what was a really long. <laughs> 
<laughs> fly ball by Josh Lowe that almost got out, but it was Isak Paredes who got the single to break up the no-hitter, and my God, what a series he would go on to have, bafflingly so, because he just couldn't hit before the series at all, and then he just transformed into Babe Ruth after this. But anyway, he broke up the no-hitter. I guess that motivated him. They brought Clay Holmes in, and Clay Holmes would allow his first run since opening day. This guy has not done anything wrong this entire season. Unfortunately, on this night, he didn't have his stuff at all. And the crappy thing is that it was all in soft contact, too. And he did allow what was the first run of the game and the game-tying run in that eighth inning at the time, which would take the decision away from Garrett Cole, the winning decision for the game, after the game that he pitched, which really sucked, because he pitched a hell of a game and sure did deserve a win. Some people called it karma because of how the offense had his back after his disastrous start in Minnesota and prevented him from taking a loss in that one. And whatever, I guess it's fair, but... (laughs) Nonetheless, he pitched a gem of gems, and he had the decision for the game taken away from him, which stinks. Very much like how he didn't get a win for yesterday's start against the Astros, too. And also, just seeing Clay Holmes not have it, it was a new experience for all of us, I think it's safe to say. (laughs) So, the Rays tied the game. So, this is a new baseball game now, and the Yankees are very lucky because of how Clay Holmes didn't have it, that that's all that happened. They could have very well have taken the lead and ran away with the game. But fortunately, for the Yankees, that's not what happened, because in the top of the ninth, some big stuff went down. (laughs) With Josh Donaldson on first after he singled, Aaron Hicks, again here, RBI triple off the wall after, unfortunately, Margot would bash his leg into the wall, and he would just come crashing down and not be able to get up. That would allow Aaron Hicks to make it all the way to third. And Josh Donaldson would come home to score, and that would give the Yankees a humongous 3-2 lead. Jose Trevino would hit a sacrifice fly after that to drive Hicks home to add on a bit, give him a little bit of insurance, make it 4-2. And then after that, with Clay Holmes having been used, the Yankees needed someone to close out the game. And fortunately, even though he didn't, Definitely didn't have his best stuff either. Wandy Peralta would come in and do just that. Shut out ninth inning, and the Yankees would get a gritty, nerve-wracking 4-2 victory in a game that looked like it was going to be an easy win after a Garrett Cole gem, and that was just going to be the way they wrote it until the end. But a five-out save gamble, unfortunately didn't work out on a very rare night of Clay Holmes not having his stuff. Fortunately, though, the offense was resilient, as they have been so often this year. Wandy was able to lock it down, and the Yankees could open up the series with a big, big win. Unfortunately, the next night wouldn't be so great, and the offense would blow a ton of scoring chances. The only times they would score were on a two-run single by DJ LeMahieu in the top of the second, and then all the way in the ninth inning, a two-run shot by Marwin Gonzalez when the Yankees were trying to come back. They would only end up losing by a run 5-4, to four, but it would not be enough to four runs. Cortez did not have his best stuff to start the game. Four and a third, allowing four runs. Schmidt allowed a run as well in two-thirds of an inning. Marinaccio and Litke would hammer out the last three innings for the bullpen shutout. But the Rays jumped out in front first with, and this is the baffling thing I was talking about with Paredes before, but... This was a a Nestor that we 
didn't see much this year at all because, like I said, he didn't have his stuff, and the people who he allowed home runs to as well, Isak Paredes, solo shot, Harold Ramirez, solo shot. Of all people in the Rays lineup, even though they have a lot of injuries, these are the last people you expect. <laughs> so that was two to nothing. Then the Yankees tied it up after DJ's two-run single, like I mentioned before. Paredes would then homer a second time, a solo shot to make it three to two Tampa. And then in the bottom of the fifth, you thought he was done? A third home run of the game. (laughs) Eighth home run of the year. This is a guy who couldn't hit before this series. Unbelievable. It was a two-run shot this time. They made it 5-2. to two. And then Marwin in the ninth inning, like I mentioned before, would hit a two-run shot. And the Yankees attempting to make a comeback, but it would come up short. The offense had plenty of opportunities to score in innings that they weren't dead, at least. <laughs> and Paredes just put the Rays on his back and carried them to victory. So the Rays won 5-4. to four. Rubber game matchup on Wednesday in an intense back and forth. Again, the Yankees would come out on top. Montgomery... He started out the game real rough. He allowed four runs by the time he was done with four innings. But then after that, fortunately, and this played a big part in the Yankees being able to come back, he did find his stuff and was able to lock down and grind down a little bit and prevent them from having to go to the bullpen earlier than they had to because he still managed to go six innings. Fifth and sixth innings were much better, but his final line does not look pretty nonetheless, mainly because of those first four innings. Six innings, nine hits, four runs, and only two strikeouts and walked two guys, gave up two home runs. Fortunately, Schmidt, King and Holmes held it down later. Holmes for his 12th save. That helped big time too, but the Yankee offense, again, was resilient despite starting off rough. The Yankees were down 3 to nothing because Montgomery started out badly, so the Yankees had to creep back in. Top of the fourth, Aaron Judge with his 26th home run would get them started, make it 3-1. to one. Unfortunately, the Rays would get that run right back on an RBI ground out by Brujan to make it 4-1. to one. That would be Montgomery's last run that he allowed. Jose Trevino in the top of the sixth. He would hit a ground ball, and Taylor Walls would have a throwing error. Allowed Giancarlo Stanton to come home to score, made it 4-2. Unfortunately, the scoring would stop there, and the Yankee offense, you were like, oh my God, only one run on a judge solo shot. The only way they got a second run was on an error. What the hell is going on here? Well, they weren't done. Aaron Judge, 27th home run of the year in the top of the seventh. A solo shot made it 4-3. to three. And the top of the eighth, you just felt this coming in your bones when he was coming to the plate. Runner on being Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, Jose Trevino, top of the eighth inning, down by a run, and what does our catcher do? And what does he do to further support the fact that he should be in more all-star consideration? He hits a go-ahead two-run shot to make it 5-4. to four. The bullpen after that would lock it down, like I said, being king in the eighth and Holmes in the ninth. The Yankees. Another gritty victory, taking the series on the road, in the trop, in the House of Horrors. Definitely a House of Horrors for the Yankees, at least. We all hate that stadium, it goes without saying. And the Yankees would win 5-4 to four and escape that series with the series as well. And I don't even think I need to recap this Astros series because I went in on it. Thursday was really the battle of the three-run homers. <laughs> First, it was... Uh, uh, three-run homer by Bregman, three-run homer by Stanton, three-run homer by Jordan Alvarez, in the bottom of the ninth, three-run homer by Hicks, <laughs> and then as I said before, we spoke about all this, Judge walking it off with an RBI single. Friday, the Astros won 3-1 to one because Verlander was just locked down, we went over that already. Yesterday was the combined no-hitter embarrassment, 
And then today, the unbelievable victory, capping off this series split, it would turn out to be, that I spent a ton of time in the intro on, so I will no longer spend more time on here. (laughs) So the 13-game stretch of tough teams is done for now, but on top of that, we also mentioned this two weeks ago, the Yankees are also amidst a stretch of 20 games without a day off. But with the 13 games done, it's almost done with this stretch without a day off. What's ahead for this coming week? Well, tomorrow, the Yankees get an easier team in the Bronx. And like it hasn't all season long, that shouldn't encourage them to try any less. But the Oakland A's are coming to town for a three-game set in the Bronx. The first game of the series tomorrow night on Monday the 27th will be at 7.05 Eastern. Tuesday will also be at 7.05 Eastern. And Wednesday will be at 1.05 Eastern to wrap up the three-game set. Thursday. The 30th, this is that really weird lone game against the Astros that I mentioned briefly before. But one game in Houston, Yankees and the Astros, this Thursday, the 30th, really weird, 6-10 starting time. And then Friday, the Yankees go to Cleveland to have a three-game weekend series against the Guardians. Friday night's game is at 7-10 Eastern, Saturday, 6-10, and Sunday the 3rd, the day before the 4th of July. They will wrap up the three-game set in Cleveland with the third game of the series starting at 1.40 Eastern, which is when we will talk next time. Wow. (laughs) Even despite not having a social media segment, what an episode, huh? So much fun stuff to go through and so much discussion after the wrapping up of the Astros series. Just so much to discuss, guys. Wow. Another crazy, fun, long episode of Yapping Yankees in the books. Make that 144 episodes. I can't believe it any more than you probably can, especially if you've been following along since very near the beginning, the actual beginning, or maybe even just a few weeks now. But 144 episodes, my God. But that is all for episode 144 today, my friends. Remember to follow me on all socials if you don't already. Mike Scudero NY, Facebook fan page at Mike Scudero on Twitter and Mike Scuds 97 on Instagram. Subscribe to Yapping Yankees on all four of the platforms it's available on, YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Leave a like below if you're listening on YouTube. Leave a review on all the other three. Show your love. And if you have the time, listen to the past Yapping Yankees episodes that you might have missed, guys. Episodes 34 up to episode 144 today are all on YouTube. And all episodes going all the way back to episode 1 three years ago, more than three years ago, are available on Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Once again, thank you, 3000, for listening to me yap today. As always, my friends, I am your raspy-voiced host, Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you next Sunday, July 3rd, when I come at you with episode 145 of Yapping Yankees. But until then, you know the deal. Hang in there. Be patient. Please stay safe. Look out for your loved ones. Let's hope the Yankees continue to kick ass. Three games against the A's, one against the Astros, three against Cleveland next weekend. Still the best team in baseball, baby. Let's keep it that way as we head into July. Enjoy your week, my friends. I will talk to you next Sunday on July the 3rd. And in the meantime, for the rest of today, I am going to go rest my voice. (laughs) Take care, guys. (laughs) 